Like when Jesus told the disciples to drop their nets, he wasn't like, hey, create an inward sense of detachment from those nets. He's like, no, stop being fishermen for a second. I'm going to do something with you. I'm going to make you a disciple of mine. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Living Scent Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Wester. For those of you who are new to the show, this podcast releases a new episode on the first Wednesday of each month, all with the purpose of helping you live like an everyday missionary in your household, neighborhood, workplace, and city. You know, after today's episode, you're going to want to get the show notes. These show notes are made available to you for free, and you can get them by swinging over to my website at justinwester.com, navigating to the podcast tab, and downloading them from there. Not only will they give you a complete recap from this episode, they're going to give you further questions, more content that you can use with a small group from your church, or a few close friends that want to dive deeper into what is discussed right here. So make use of those today. Also, a big thank you to those who are continuing to rate and review this podcast. If you've never taken a few moments to do that for this podcast, I'd encourage you to do that right here, right now. Wherever it is that you listen to this content, go ahead and rate and review it. When you do that, not only does it encourage me, it's a gift to me, it also helps to expand this podcast reach as well. So if you believe that this content would be valuable to others, be sure to rate it, review it, and even share it with a friend. Well, I'm going to go ahead and stop talking and get right to this interview because I know it's going to encourage you. Today, you will get to hear from James and Kristen Barnett. They both lead a nonprofit called Neighborly that seeks to help others see love, and join those who are on the margins of society. And their home base is right here in Tallahassee, Florida. And on top of that, they practice biblical hospitality. They're welcoming strangers and loving those that live right around them. They have an amazing story, and I know it's going to encourage you to live sent this week. So here we go, my interview with James and Kristen. James and Kristen, welcome to the Living Scent Podcast. Living uh, Scent Podcast. I am incredibly excited for you two to share your story uh, here because I think you guys and your family just have so much to offer in terms of what it means to not only live out your faith, but I think you embody many of the ideas that are surrounding Living Scent, and you're doing all that right here in Tallahassee. So. I'm excited to spend the time with you guys and for uh, you to encourage uh, the listeners of this podcast as well. So just so everybody knows, James, you and I have known each other for a really long time. Uh, I don't know if I've ever told you this, uh, but you are actually part of my kind of salvation story. So Lindsay invited me. You're to, kidding. No, Lindsay invited me to to watch you play music. That's what she said. Play music. Play music. Play music. And so, oh my gosh, I played in front of no, you. No, no. Yeah. I played in front of you. You did. The, you did. the great shredder of all shredders. <laughs> oh she said, my God. Uh, she said, he's playing music at E3. And I didn't go to church growing up in Tallahassee, so I had no idea what E3 was. And it was a church. Super postmodern, artistic, cutting edge, coffee served up. And I walked through the door (laughs) and it's a church service and you were up there. And so really, in all seriousness, that was kind of the event that God used to, to get my attention spiritually. So. Whoa. I don't know if you knew that. Hey, but uh, no, I absolutely. That is wild, dude. Yeah, yeah, man. 
So for those uh, listening who do not yet know you guys, there may be some that are familiar with you. Um, could you just share a little bit about your background? And you could take that wherever you like, you know, where you grew up, where you're from, experience with church, faith journey, that sort of thing. Yeah. First off, thanks for having us on the Living Scent podcast. Yeah, man. What a freaking treasure this is. (laughs) Um, Truly, honestly, uh, your vision for it is um, so beautiful. And I think really the incarnation sits at the heart of it. And so to be able to hopefully to contribute to your vision is is really a meaningful gift. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Yeah. So we've been married uh, almost 10 years now. Um, and we moved back to Tallahassee probably about three and a half years ago. But James, do you want to start with like your own personal story? Sure. Yeah. So I grew up in the church, uh, as a fetus, I was going to church. So even before I was born, really very religious person. Yep. Um, early on my parents, you know, had me dressed and ready for church in a baptismal gown, what they called a bab- it was a, to- it was a dress. I was in those. Yeah. Every- you got one of those photos, yeah. like those yeah. classics. Well, and I had the high, high socks and the, you know, shorty shorts. Oh no. Can you believe what yeah. they did to us? Yeah. Yeah. Do you do that to your kids? No, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's probably, yeah. Um, one of our values is to not do that to our children, but, um, yeah, I grew up grew up in church, uh, I, you know, uh, worshiping, and um, I guess it, it, it was probably around the age of twelve where I first uh, made an agreement with the Lord that I would entrust uh, my life to Him, and wouldn't be until another twelve years later when I I, I took who my Savior was and also made Him Lord. Um, submitting to his authority in my life. But yeah, at 12, I made that decision. Um, and I think, you know, moving towards, I don't know, probably that time, right? When I was leading worship at E3, um, college age, I started really becoming disenchanted with um, the, the institution of the church um, because I'd opened my Bible and see a very different, recklessly loving, vagabond, homeless man who was a, fre- a friend of lepers, hookers, and crooks. <laughs> and uh, then, then I'd look in the sterile sanctuary that I sat in apathetically um, as the time of, of the, I mean, the culmination of my faith, that within this hour I was, I was to uh, faithfully carry out what it meant um, to serve God, to love him fully. And so I think, you know, in college, post-college, I just really, I was like, man, I don't see Jesus in this institution anymore. Um, and if, and if I want to find him, I thought I'd, I'd start by looking where he said he could be found in the scriptures, which was in the distressing disguise of those at a disadvantage, the poor. So, yeah, my backdrop is, you know, prior to all that, you know, you know, very conservative Christian, you know, you know, like president of like FCA or leading worship at church all the time and leadership team stuff. So really devoted. I was the kid who was at youth group probably 30 minutes early to, nice. to, to my youth pastor's chagrin. Is that mm. the meaning of the word chagrin? 
Let's just go with it. Yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah. Sounds really good. Though. Yeah. He sh- he sh- he was so sh- chagrinning over my <laughs> earliness all the time. I'm sure he loved that. But yeah, I was pretty devoted early yes. on. Yeah. What about you, Kristen? <clears throat> yes. Um, yeah. I I grew up a little farther away in um, right outside Washington D.C. in Maryland. And to to a family who were believers, so we um, primarily worshipped um, the majority of my childhood at a Presbyterian church. So there was a lot of um, just formality, high church, you know. There's like bell choirs and the orchestra. Um, I really enjoyed it, though. And I also went to private Christian school as well. So it was kind of like my whole period of childhood was imbued with, you know, learning theology. And we had a class in high school hermeneutics and I I don't think I really put two and two together of like what it means to have all of the knowledge in my head um and then to like to to change um on the outside and you know so when I went to college and left that world behind here at Florida State University um I think I'm more focused on like academics and so I, I kind of lost my not my personal relationship with the Lord but I lost the community surrounding it so I didn't no longer really had a church community um, most of my friends were non-believers at this point and I think in my mind I was, thought that was a good thing you know I'm finally kind of out of this bubble um, and can you know share who I am and share Jesus with these people but I wasn't particularly growing um yeah, and career-wise, I, I studied political science. I really wanted to go into government growing up where I did and did a couple stints on Capitol Hill interning for um, congressmen on both sides of the aisle, and that wasn't really satisfying. So then I went to grad school um, also he- here at FSU for international affairs, and that's when um, it's kind of part of my testimony, but in a backwards way, that's when I started studying um, refugees and asylees. So I was just so interested about how these, um, how populations migrate and why they flee and where they go. Um, but at that point, I had never met any refugees um, and really didn't spend a lot of time even volunteering with immigrants. So um, I was just really, I think where I grew up, it was so focused on your career track and like um, kind of climbing the corporate ladder. Um, so yeah, and I, I guess that's where my story with James uh, began to collide. Can I distill some of your experience and you can tell me whether or not this is an accurate portrayal of mm-hmm. how you feel. But I think your past um, faith experience was marked by the veneration of orthodoxy over orthopraxy, right? Right mm-hmm. thinking instead of right practice. Yeah. The fruit of the Protestant Reformation that <laughs> we all find ourselves in is like, okay, we're going to disengage from the Catholic Church, so what do we believe? And then we got on this, um, just this rat race to perfecting the way we think about God. Mm-hmm. And I think while my church experience was a little similar, it was the Methodist church and it was, it was, it was very social justice. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think I sort of escaped some of, of that, you know, I I think, well, obviously both are important. I wouldn't say escape orthodoxy. Maybe we did, but to to our own demise, but, but, um, but yeah, it was a lot about like mobilizing people out of the walls of the church and so I really am grateful for that. So we actually came from kind of two different worlds in that way. Wouldn't you? Yeah. Would you agree with yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So while you're at Florida State, mm-hmm. you've you've been going around the U.S. 
Right. Yeah. So kind of where I left off in my story was post-college working for um, J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, um, making bank. And I, I felt like the Lord was like, dude, you um, actually there's there's too much to, to say here. But let me just fast forward and say I was working for J.P. Morgan Chase Bank doing really well financially for myself. And right out of college with an art degree. So, hey, anybody can make it if that's what you take away from the podcast. You, too, um, can do this. Uh, But you know what happened was uh, so a friend named Brad Gortney here at uh, Canopy Roads Church um, was like, dude, we're going to we're going to uh, Nicaragua. And, uh, we're gonna, it's just more of an exploratory trip. And so he, myself and, uh, Vicki Brokaw and as well as, uh, another individual went out to Nicaragua, uh, hung out with the Busbees. I met Miss Ruby, which I'm sure some of your listeners, uh, are familiar with her. Mm-hmm. She's since <laughs> passed, but she, um, man was this was this Christian who just radically poured herself out at the feet of Jesus in one of the most distressing places on earth in this dump called La Chireca. So, hey, Brad is like, yeah, you should come with us to Nicaragua. And uh, so I was like, all right, yeah, sure. Like, so I took some time off from work. I went, she, um, Miss Ruby spoke uh, some things over me that like, like a prophetic little four foot tall Nicaraguan Yoda. She was like, um, your obedience isn't defined just by what you don't do, but by what you do for the world, your God so loved. And even though I had this backdrop of, you know, caring for, for those in the margins, uh, my life, it wasn't marked by it. And I think that was, that was the real difference. It was like a, it's like, you know, we Christians, we accept, like we say the Apostles Creed, like that Jesus was born, he suffered and he died uh, under Pontius Pilate. We talk about his death as a means to salvation, but dismiss his life as a volunteer opportunity in our free time. That's exactly what I was doing. And so she, she really just kind of challenged me um, to rethink what faithfulness to Christ looked like. And so I coming back on the plane um, flying back to the States after that trip, reading Irresistible Revolution by yeah. Shane Claiborne. Yeah. Have you read that? I have, yeah. Yeah, that was like, that was the anthem for like <laughs> <Right>? our generation. <laughs> Did it affect you? Did oh, you? Yeah. yeah. It was like a hand grenade to the face. Was it really? Yeah. A hand grenade to the face. Yeah. That's yeah. close and personal. <laughs> so, yeah, so that book, along with like Isaiah 58, Amos 5, 21 to 24, I think Jeremiah 26, like God, God consistently identified, said like, he didn't really even mince words. It was just like, hey, like concern for those at a disadvantage, relationship with those at a disadvantage is what it means to know me. Uh, I know that, that, that gets into some hairy territory, but the, it says it. And, and so we have to do our work with it. It's on the table. And these scriptures really were a scathing indictment to my, um, my apathy up into that point. So I come back home and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to quit my job, sell everything I own, and go live on the streets with people in the margins. For me, it wasn't like, oh, I had this radical experience in Nicaragua. Let's, I'm going to mo- go move to Nicaragua. That's kind of, you know, a lot of us feel after a missions trip. Um, but for me, it was just kind of like, there's that story, actually, in Scripture. I, I mean, 
I think Jesus is like healing a blind dude, and he's like, "Don't tell anybody, but go home." Mm-hmm. It was either that the guy was lame. What you correct me? You know, yeah. yeah that's which it. is it? Yeah. Blind? The guy was blind. Yeah. Okay, so he heals this blind guy, and he's like, "Go home," and like that is like the least exciting thing anybody could ever tell you after you have a radical run in with Christ. Go home, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and like treasure these things in your heart. And so don't grow your platform. Don't write a book about it. Don't try to get verified on social media or whatever. Don't grow your impact. He's just like, go treasure it, you know? So anyways, I go home. I go to, come back to Tallahassee and I'm like, man, I'm going to go, I'm going to get a little bit closer to this very uncomfortable reality of homelessness that I I didn't know much about. And so that's when I was like, yeah, I'm going to go be homeless. So um, when I met Kristen, to bring it kind of back to your question, um, she, uh, she was getting her master's degree at Florida State in International Affairs, mm-hmm. and I was living under a bridge in Atlanta at Spaghetti Junction. It's a good match. It's a great a match, a match made under the bridge. That's what <laughs> she, <laughs> she, was, she was cleaning up the streets, man. Right. She, she was helping people. <laughs> Off the streets. I yeah, I was down here in Tallahassee, um, Florida, and speaking at a, a campus ministry at Florida State, and we had a mutual friend um, connect us. Yeah, and so we we met up at Black Dog Cafe and yeah, like a but yeah. So when we met, um, right, he he was intentionally living homeless, um, and I don't I don't know why, but for some reason it, it didn't faze me a ton. Maybe partially, I'm sure I didn't understand. It's kind of just like this, like wall goes up. I'm like, I don't know what that means. And that was super attractive to me because, like, for for years, everywhere I went, I was novel. I was a radical, you know, air quotes Christian. Yeah. And and eventually, you're like, well, this is really unhealthy for people to think this. I need to be in community where people can see my sin clearly, right? But here's this this woman I met who was not impressed at all. She did. I was like, is she like, is she all there? <laughs> like, is, like that should, that should concern someone who's like, you know, I don't know. Things clicked for me. I think you said the love started to happen later for you. It concerned my roommate when it didn't come back for five hours. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you, you claim that you, you weren't feeling the butterflies like that night, but we did stay up till 2 AM yeah, talking true. about everything. So I think you're in denial. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, you yes. felt like you it. felt what I felt. It was very sweet. What what I was impressed by, and this again, this is part of my testimony because at the beginning it wasn't necessarily that I connected. James is doing this because he's in love with the Lord. Uh, I was so fascinated because he had started a nonprofit, and so you know I'm in this space where I'm thinking, oh, hopefully I'll work for the UN, and if not that, maybe foreign service officer, and if not that, just like a local nonprofit. Wait a second, you were using me. As a resume piece, weren't you? That's what you were doing. It was you researching. Were, you were, no, you were looking for a job to put on your resume so that you could then leave me and mm. go work for the UN. Mm-hmm. I think Un- unpaid research assistant. <laughs> Dude, this is oh, like a wow. ca- this is a counseling session. Yeah, That's you want to you want to unravel that? I that. <laughs> But but at the time, he was also traveling uh, internationally, right? So he was working in Haiti. I don't know. I think you were starting to work in Kenya when I first met him. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, that's what I want to do. I I did not want to live in the U.S. um, Just because I I had 
gone abroad a few times for different things and that was just like my goal um and it wasn't necessarily motivated by i think god is calling me to do x in x country it was just like i think that would be really fun um and so yep we we started dating um it was a really quick engagement he proposed about two months later i was desperate i was running out of options i was 28 (laughs) Clock's no prospects. Ticking. Clock it's it. Ticking, clock man. is t- this biological clock is not going to tick forever. Um, yes, the story goes. It was just. It was so fast because um, after dating, I did get an assignment with a Peace Corps, and so you have to give your yes or your no in seven days. Oh wow, um, that's fast. Yeah. So, so and it could be anywhere, right? It, it could be anywhere, and then um, you select a region. So I got okay. um, Cameroon, Africa. Wow. Um, yeah, and I was so excited, uh, but also like I don't know what to do with this relationship that's burgeoning, and we just had a really sweet. Um, talk on a dock um and can you remind me of the scripture is it jeremiah tw- yeah it's in tw- it's in 29 uh yeah the lord says pray pray to the city in which i've sent you into exile or um pray to the lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare and it's really it's jeremiah saying like you know to the so hananiah the false prophet it's, it's him jeremiah is responding to this false prophet that was like hey you know you're not going to be here too long don't settle in or whatever mm-hmm. and to the israelites exiled in babylon and um and so jeremiah is like no like you're in time out. You've been bad. You should settle in. You should buy houses, marry people, plant vineyards, and then harvest the grapes. And so in that, um, like, I was just like, yeah, you should go. If the Lord has called you there, you should invest yourself. Even if you're not going to be there for long, whatever, <clears throat> go be rooted. Yeah. Yeah, it was a three-year thing. So um, that was really cool. And we kind of, like, briefly talked, like, well, what if we did a shotgun wedding? And he came with me. You know, a neighbor, like, a clothier neighbor at the time, like, his nonprofit could come. On the dock out at Bradley's Pond. Yes. It was very... While the moss was swaying in the tree. It turned out to be very anticlimactic, because the next day I did call my officer back and was like, I'd love to accept. And also, like, I have a fiancé. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't. You can't bring someone. That was, that a, was a deal breaker? Well, yeah. she didn't, and she didn't wow. even, that was a lot, You're supposed too. to mention all there of that. There was no fiancé, because I proposed. Later. That wasn't even my proposal. Part of the application. It's really <laughs> rigorous. You cannot be in a relationship. Okay, gotcha. Or if you are, you have to be, be married um, at least one year. I don't know what they're thinking. Wow. It's not like the first year or two of marriage is complex or difficult for anybody. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It's a breeze. <laughs> Living in a developing country seems like a good environment in That's which right. a marriage can thrive. Yes. But yeah, so that just kind of pushed us a little bit faster than normal. So yeah, we got married and moved to Atlanta. Um, so we lived in Atlanta for a few years, then South Dakota for a few years in our Jeep for half a year ah. camping. Um, and to, uh, all that time, I was actually working for like the private sector. So I was in like paralegal duties at multiple law firms, just not, you know, it wasn't really meaningful to me, but um, they, they were good jobs. Um, and so on the side I you know got to volunteer and like tutor or teach English or mentor refugees but it was never my full-time thing and I just was always longing for that um even our first year of marriage we joked that I didn't well I'm still tempted to do this but like I started applying to jobs in like 
Tegucigalpa, Guatemala. And I was like, yeah. hey, James, I have an interview. Yeah. He's like, what? Yeah, an interview <laughs> to live in another country that I knew nothing about. Well, that was, that was, was too, where's Tegucigalpa? It's Guatemala. So just like a, It was Guatemala? I thought it was Costa Rica you were looking at. It's I, Guatemala. Was, I was also. Yeah, so like, yeah, James, I have an interview in another country. <laughs> I was country. just very like, Oh my gosh, like maybe run things by me. <laughs> yes, I was desperate. Um, but yeah, so about after seven years of that, um, God mm. did give mm. me the... <laughs> I'm just realizing the weight that that was on you. I'm sorry, yeah. I didn't know it at the time. That's okay. Um, yes, the grace um, and kind of just the... I don't want to say bravery, but um, I, I did end up quitting my job um, in the legal field, and then that's when I started working for Neighborly. So now um, this fall it'll be three years, um, and we really didn't have much ironed out. I hadn't support raised yet, but we just I just felt like um, this is what uh, we need to do. So. Yeah, I didn't want to meet a lot of people here in Tallahassee. I think they yeah. just assume that's what we've always done, like as a couple. Right. Um, but it's kind of more a recent part of my story. So, you, what year did you guys get back to Tallahassee? Two thousand was it sixteen? Um, end of twenty nineteen. Right. Twenty nineteen. Bef- right before the um, pandemic. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. So I kind of want to zero in on what you guys are doing right now in Tallahassee. Yeah. You had me over to y'all's place. Like, walk us through a little bit of the some of the conversations that you guys had that that led you to look for a home in which you could practice some of those things. Because I know James's heart, I know your heart as well. It's like you, you wouldn't want a home that was completely separated from the organization. It's like mm-hmm. you see these kind of as marrying together mm-hmm. and like being one in the same. So what were some of the conversations that led you guys to look for a house where you could you could do some of this stuff? Yeah. So first, Kristen mentioned neighborly, and I don't think we've really discussed what that is yet. She's referencing our nonprofit organization, which aims to deinstitutionalize charity, really mobilizing the church to mimic the incarnation of Christ who put on flesh and joined us in our mess, our chaos to bring about his peace. So that's a wordy way of saying like we help people at a disadvantage in a way that's relational and that's, and we're really just like, we're the ones who like activate those relationships. So, um, so, but so like moving back from there a little bit, like one of the first conversations and experiences I ever had was with a sort of semi monastic, uh, I guess maybe new monastic house, uh, that was in Gainesville, Florida, called the Greenhouse or the Catholic Worker House. And what we saw there was not a model of, and this would become important later on in, in life for me, this phrasing of it was a model of intimacy, not efficiency. Mm-hmm. And everything I saw up into that point of poverty alleviation, those were models of efficiency. And you, you got to ask yourself, man, with a Christ who put on flesh and joined us in our, in our filth, what was his model? Was it snapping his fingers from a throne and being like, here's some forgiveness for you? Mm-hmm. Or was it like, I'm going to enter in, I'm going to bear the weight of your humanity on myself and suffer to the greatest degree. That's a love story, right? That's intimacy. And so I saw this greenhouse, um, really, um, letting their theology turn into practice 
in the way that they welcomed strangers and had people living in their home. It was just a normal, like, just picture a normal house. It was kind of two stories, pretty old historic house downtown Gainesville. But but it was also just like a normal person's house. You walk in, there's rooms to the right, a couple bunks in each room. To the left, there's a dining room with a piano. There's a guy playing piano. There's a dining room to the left um, with lots of tables and a kitchen in the far back left. There were chickens in the backyard. There were flowers in the garden. And it was a, it was, they were just like, hey, we're not going to solve homelessness, but we can help our friend, you know, Tony. Right. Right. Yeah. And that just like turned it all upside down for me, man. Poverty got personal because poverty was given a name. Mm-hmm. And when you give it a name, man, that gets intimate. And it's like, man, I start to care about a person. I, I mean, I, 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 I reject the idea that any of us truly at the heart of things care about, you know, solving problems. It's, it's more than likely that you met somebody, you encountered a person who was experiencing or you read, heard a story maybe about a person who experienced um, pain and 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 suffering and, or lived in precarity. And you're like, man, that start that, that's, that matters to me. And then you kind of take up that cross of that, that problem, but it usually comes from a person. And so this personal element of like how to use your home for Christ himself, like who, um, you know, appears to us in the distressing disguise of, of the poor, as mother Teresa said, um, like, like, man, the way they were using their home was just so beautiful. So that, for me, really laid the you know the groundwork for what I would one day want to accomplish. Mm. Um, I don't think that's something, though, that we talked about like while dating or even in premarital counseling, those desires, <clears throat> right? Well, I mean, kind of. I think, I think actually we did. And really? it, but at the time, for me, it was more of like starting a Christian commune out in the wilderness with a bunch of houses. But I couldn't get over that whole Jim Jones vibe. <laughs> um, so, but that's that's changed. I think a little bit for me. I think some people lean who want to live incarnationally. I think can you know lean towards old monasticism, which kind of said, "Hey, you know, here's corruption in the city, and so I'm going to live more rurally, mm-hmm. and you know, go be a desert father or mother, right?" Or there's some that are like, well, and that's probably the, this is kind of the banner of new monasticism, which is like, well, that is where chaos and sin thrives. That's also where poverty then thrives. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I'm going to go, right? That's the new monastic model. And I think for us, well, I'm more of a country boy and Kristen is more of a city girl. So mm-hmm. we met in the middle and just went to the city. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. Works, so in uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. All you young husbands listen <laughs> up, right? It was great. You loved it. Um, our first house we bought, it was downtown. Um, it was kind of an area with mixed SES. And it was like there was some parts of the street that had a high crime. Some that were like SES? socioeconomic status. Um we didn't know much about the town, but we kind of did did know that. And it was funny, like the first week after we bought the house, I get a knock on the door and it's a reporter saying, you know, there's been a murder across the street. Like, can you comment? I was just being like taken aback and yeah. I don't know what I mumbled, but. You mumbled something about it being like a positive thing, which like, <laughs> you did. You did though. Cause like, you remember it was like, yeah. happy. they were like, how do you feel about living in a neighborhood like this? And well, Kristen is like, this is a sign that we are. It was kind of like a churchy answer, you know, like, 
yeah, of course I'm going to raise my future kids here, like to be a light, that whole thing. Yeah. However, they said there was a stabbing. I didn't know it was fatal at the time. So <laughs> oh, wow. It was kind of embarrassing looking. But, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's um, funny. Yeah. I so, thought you were going to say, I was like, better them than me. Yeah, yeah, we chose this house because it was like, it backed up. You're talking about the South, South Dakota house, mm-hmm. right? So I was pastoring a church and serving out there in the Midwest and South Dakota and we wanted to move. Uh, there was this park kind of downtown that was kind of known as like the drug park. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it had people had attempted gentrification numerous times, and it didn't ever really stick. I think it, I think it has now. But when we moved there, the idea was like, hey, there's going to be people, homeless folks, like in our backyard. It really could not get better than this. Mm-hmm. And I know that's, I know that's kind of laughable and it's okay to laugh at that because that's a bit insane, right? But we were like, well, there's a side entrance to our downstairs basement at this house. So we bought this house because we're thinking, hey, like people might need to come down from a high or whatever that are just back there in the park and find a, a safe house essentially, right? From maybe men that are, you know, exploiting women sexually. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and that's kind of what it, what it became, yeah, important piece was the basement had um, stairs to the upstairs, but they were lockable um, from our floor. So we lived on the top. Uh, when, and once we had our baby, Atlas, um, we did end up um, not harboring, but um, housing. Uh, harboring? Well, <laughs> I mean, she w- thinking about papers and stuff. I, you know, at, okay. the, at this point in time, it might be called harboring, but um, a, <laughs> a single mother with twin girls from El Salvador. A woman, um, a woman I'd harbor any time. <laughs> <laughs> they were lovely. Um, but it's still, like, it sounded like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll take in this mom, and I kind of speak Spanish, and it'll be great. And it was just our first attempt at, I guess, what you would call incarnational living. You know, they lived their lives, and we lived ours, and we tried to, to mesh in it and... Mm. You know, it wasn't. Um, I'd say though, we got to back up and say because I think this will be a pearl for anybody listening. Is that they were Plan B, Plan A was a guy whose name I'll leave out because he um, last minute we had Atlas, our firstborn. He was just a baby at the time. He was sitting in a car seat right next to me. We were meeting with this individual at a Hispanic church in town. We had gone to to see if there were any immigrants or people that needed you know help out help with housing. So, cause, cause I had asked around, right. The church that I was serving, like I asked around and like, I guess it was just so like suburbia that like nobody really knew anybody who mm-hmm. was struggling. And I mean, we're talking a church of thousands mm-hmm. and I, you know, it's from, the largest city in the state and I from stage would be like, Hey, if anybody knows anybody who needs housing and nobody did. And so mm-hmm. that was concerning right up front. But anyway, so we ended up having to go to a different church community to find someone to house. And this guy came out of jail recently and we were like, man, and God had totally restored this guy. Um, but anyways, we were having this one meeting at this church and I'm just like sitting there looking at Atlas and I just get this nudge from the Lord. He's like, pick Atlas uh, up and, and, you know, kind of bounce him on your knee. And so I, I do that as I'm talking with this, this individual, we're just trying to get to know him before we say, Hey, yeah, come live with us. We'll just get an interview. Right. And, um, the guy just started weeping. Like he broke, man, the rain clouds just, and, um, this 
he just started weeping and I was like, we're just, this is like a really holy moment. Right. And he just said, you should know that I have, I have molested children Mm. and, um, and, but, but God has totally radically changed my life. I'm a new creation now. So we spent some time affirming that, that new creation that we were looking at in front of us. Mm but also explaining to that new creation, there are boundaries within which we hope to um, cultivate community and care for those at a disadvantage. And the sort of test for us has become, I don't think I would have put it in these words at that time, but that um, while God requires that if we follow him, um, that we care for, for the vulnerable, we, um, I don't believe he will ever call us to do so to the neglect of the vulnerable mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in your, in your care. Mm-hmm. And so for some of us that, that might, as parents, right? Like that might, we might be thinking, well, then that would be my kids. Like, is this going to come at my child's expense? Cause they are also the vulnerable. They're the, the stranger that I took in the naked that I clothed, the hungry that I fed mm-hmm. and the thirsty mm-hmm. that we gave something to drink. And um, the sick, right, who we suck snot out of their nose, you know? <laughs> hey, did you ever do that? Have you done that? We've done it. And I'm the only one that does it in my house. Respect, bro. Yeah. Do you it's gag intense. a little afterwards? I don't. I, I don't have a problem doing it. But you, you don't use the, the mouth one, do you? Oh, yeah. The Frida? I'm wow. Wait, what do you mean you don't use? That's what we well, do. Well, most people use, like, the suction bulb. Oh, That's I, the classic. I was like, what is the alternative <laughs> oh, yeah. here? Is it the nose for you uh-huh. or whatever? Yeah. Wrapping it, their it lips works, around their nostril. It works the best. <laughs> <laughs> it works really I well. gag. I'm also <laughs> the one to do it in the house, but I've got a horrible gag reflex. I just don't like how close I get to them. Like, I wish that the tube was, like, two feet. Right. It's, like, six inches. I mean, you got to be, like, up on it. And I'm like, why did you make it this close? (laughs) It should be, like... like You're right. It's like we should have... There should be more distance between us here. It wouldn't matter. Yeah. Anyway, we'll we'll write to them and tell them that. (laughs) So I told this gentleman, um, unfortunately, we are not the part of the body of Christ that can say yes. I still affirm that the the answer of the, the interdependent, the one organism, the unified body of Christ should be able to say yes to this. But we are just like one part of it, right, man? I'm just like, I tell people I'm the hangnail on the body of Christ, right? That's about it. Um, insignificant and irritating. (laughs) But, but yeah, so then we, we told the pastor of the church that we'd have to pass on this individual and he connected us with this mom and her two daughters. And that's where we learned, you know, there are some things looking back that we wish we had instituted, like family meals once a week that, mm-hmm. you know, to sort of build that relationship or to, to practice, to require that they teach us Spanish mm-hmm. or something. Because I think reciprocity is at the heart of any good interaction, right? Like if, if I have to, this is, this comes from uh, When Helping Hurts, a uh, book by Finkert and do you know it? it? I know it, but I haven't read it. So he, he, they say, um, uh, if, if for the relationship to thrive, I have to be healthy and you have to be sick. Mm. Um, then it's, it's not like a gospel centered relationship that recognizes the foot at the cross's level. Yeah. And we all 
interdependently need one another. And so we, we didn't re- like, it was uncomfortable at first to like require reciprocity. Cause it's like, well, if you're going to give man, just give, you know, with no strings attached. Yes, that's true. But people are made in the image of a dirt and a mating God who looked at the dust and said, man, I think that can be something. And then he made us right. He made us with that dust in the image of a God who looks at dust and says, we can create something out of this chaos, mm-hmm. out of this disorder. I will bring about order. And that means that when we give, when we invite someone into our home, reciprocity should be at the, the, the front of the conversation. Because when we don't do that, what we're communicating is, well, you have nothing to give. Mm-hmm. You have it doesn't matter the dirt, the dirt around you, the chaos around you, you need me for that. It's almost indicative of a God complex. Right. But instead we say, Hey, listen, you're, you know, you're, you're, um, you're made in the image of this dirt animating God too. And so like we, we expect that man, you're bringing something beautiful to the table that we lack and that we will more accurately reflect, uh, the nature of God if we have you in our life. And so that's not something we were comfortable doing then, right? We didn't have the language for that. So you all have people coming in and, your, in and out of your house regularly. <clears throat> um, and you've opened your home to all kinds of people um, that either need a temporary place to stay. Uh, they need, you know, a spot to crash while they can secure housing themselves. So what have been some of the rewards of doing that? And then maybe on the flip side... Like what have been some of the challenges of doing that as well? Because I'm sure the listeners are hearing this and they're going, okay, I think that's amazing. Uh, practically, what does that look like? You know, um, could you talk through some of that rewards and challenges of, of yeah. opening your home? Yeah, I can. I want to speak to the reward, I guess, first. Yeah. Right. Um, teaspoon. Of sugar helps the medicine go down. <laughs> so that's such a good so, application of that. I've never considered that. Yes. So the reward. I look back at King David offering to God a sacrifice on this guy Aruna's land. He goes because this land had significance to King David, and he goes and he's like, "Hey, I want to." It's like me coming up to you and being like, "Dude, I, I need I need your property." For a sacrifice, <laughs> yeah, that's that's sort of what's happening here in this this text, and and he's and he's like, I wanna I wanna worship the Lord here. Aruna is like, you got it, dude. Anything you need, altar on the house, calf on the house. What else do you need? It's just all on the house. And David is like, man, thank you for that, um, but I will not take and offer something to the Lord that costs me nothing. Mm-hmm. And why? Because he knew it wasn't a sacrifice. It wasn't, it wasn't pure worship. Brother Lawrence, uh, who wrote The Practice of the Presence of God, this old monastic, I forget from what century, but he was like, you know, sometimes I wish I, I couldn't get the reward of man. I would like, I wish I could, I could do something purely out of the love of God. Mm. And I think we make... Um, the cross lighter for people, right? When someone's carrying something and they're, they're burdened for the Lord, we're like, let me, let me, how, how can I help you carry that? And that's good. And I think that's biblical Galatians six, two, it's the fulfillment of the law of Christ. That should be also on the forefront, but of our minds. But I think, um, 
to be able the reward for us. You ask about the reward. Um, because the first thing in my head was like, man, what relationships do we still have? Are they great relationships? Are we, are we worshiping together? No. A lot of times, sometimes yes. Um, but mostly no. And the people that we invite in are in a very difficult situation. Uh, sometimes attached to them are, you know, the demons of addiction and, and so on. And so, um, these are complex relationships. And so the reward for us, at least I can speak for me, is the gift of having the opportunity to give something to God that I get absolutely nothing out of. Mm. Like, it's, there, yeah, there's, 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 no, um, it's, there's no cushioned seat I can worship him from mm-hmm. here. There's like, there's no comfort and security attached to it. And therefore I know, man, like, dude, no one's taking my treasure out of heaven. Don't know. Don't know anybody give me a reward on earth. Right. Cause like, I want to avoid that at all costs. Mm-hmm. So that's been one of the rewards for me is to do something purely out of the love of God. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I've been excited. The past three refugee families we've housed, um, have been from Colombia, And so someone who's, you know, wanting to speak Spanish, it's been fun to almost, it feel, it feels like I, don't have to get on an airplane to experience another country's culture because, you know, they're inviting us and they're cooking for us, um, getting to talk um, around the bonfire. Um, And then when they go on to their new housing, I've still been able to, through Neighborly, um, keep a relationship with them. So um, it's just been really um, interesting um, to to kind of fulfill that passion of mine to, like, you don't always have to travel abroad um, to learn about other people. Um, and also, I think not just for the, on the housing side, upstairs where we live, you know, we had told you there are, like, constant people. Like, sometimes there'll have been, like, five people showing up, some announced, some some not announced. And, and um, you know, as I would identify myself as an introvert, but I think the reward for me is when my kids go to school, but when they're back home with me or when we have... This weekend we had a, a foster child where respite foster parents. It's almost like, well, we can say yes to having a baby this week because I know there's going to be plenty of people who pop in the house and I'm like, okay, can you help me with this? You do this. It almost helps the the, the day go by more enjoyably because it's not I'm not doing motherhood in solitude. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are, I would say I'm not that typical what I would classify as like a Southern host where before people come over, I fluff the pillows and vacuum. It's just like the house is as is and people know where to restock the toilet paper. Um, they clean the dishes after they leave. It's, it's very interdependent, especially for those. We have a philosophy. Every guest is a host. I got that from a shout out to, uh, what's the name of the author? That's sad. Uh, that gospel comes with a house key. Yeah. Do you know uh, Rosaria? Yeah. Butterfield. Yeah. Yep. Every every guest in our home is also a host. Yeah. Because they are also becoming temporary stewards, just as we are to a longer degree of what God actually owns. Mm-hmm. Homeownership, total illusion. I don't own that junk. <laughs> Man, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the hills those cattle are on. Mm-hmm. There's nothing I own, not the breath in my lungs, if he bought and purchased me back with his blood. So so like when guests come into our home, we tell them. Uh, every guest is a host um, uh, because we're we're all stewarding what's his anyways. 
Yeah, it's it's not. It's a, a great huge way to get out of burden. housework. I love that. I'm yeah, gonna, it's a, it's a way case. to spiritualize getting out of housework. <laughs> That's spiritual manipulation right there at its best. I yeah. love it. I yeah. kid, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. There's lots of rewards. There's, um, you know, for us, I think this type of living that we've been doing has probably heightened the past two years. Would you say, like in terms of like, I think yeah. maybe once COVID kind of felt like it died down. Um, our house door stayed open a lot longer. So I think one of the challenges um, has been figuring out how do we do this financially um, as people who don't have extra, we, we don't have wiggle room in our budget. Yeah, so, people think we're rich. We're trying to overcome that right now because we try to be um, so... I make minimum wage. <laughs> less than that, <laughs> man. Oh, I don't, maybe we shouldn't like, <laughs> say that. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think the, the sometimes people think we have more than enough, which we we do have more than enough. Um, like Because that's God's plan for provision is, right? Mm-hmm. Not that the, that the thief would no longer steal to satisfy their hunger, but work diligently with their own hands so that they have something to give to those in need. His plan for provision is not that we will have enough, but that we will have enough to give. And we are in that place, um, but not, you know, securely in that place. And so I think sometimes the perception is that we're wealthy because we're so open-handed. Yeah, and it can just be difficult, um, even maritally, like, you know, trying to just can be stressful. One thing that... Kristen is is my azer, <clears throat> the azer, the helper in the scripture, the, the one that rescues. She, yes. like, I'm way too open-handed to my own, yeah. It, it we're, we're doing the uh, the cash method in September. Yeah. Did I tell you that's, that? Well, that's what she said. <laughs> the uh, envelope system. I'm not sure I'm going to Dave Ramsey that one. <laughs> but so, so one, but maybe one uh, thing that one piece we've implemented is um, re- reorienting how we think of the tithe and generosity. So mm-hmm. um, part of our grocery budget, you know, almost a quarter is not feeding us. It's feeding other mm-hmm. people. So instead of kind of being stressed, okay, there's another person coming over for lunch. Well, no, that's built in. Yeah, um, yeah. And we are free and happy to go to the store and make a good meal. Um, I don't know. We might do the same thing with utilities. <laughs> but, yeah, just figuring out, yeah, how do you... And, and you know, there's different levels. Like you, It's also part of our job. Our job is semi-part of this. And so mm-hmm. if you have a different 9 to 5... It, the way you live incarnationally will look different. Um, so can we can we kind of go there for a little bit? Yeah. Um, so, you know, some of these people listening may be saying, okay, you got me. It's like hook, line, and sinker. I'm interested. I, I kind of want to reorient some things. Um, I may not have the exact same setup. Like if you were, if you were to coach somebody just getting into it, uh, they don't know how to swim yet, and you're teaching them to swim, like, how would you baby step them along to begin kind of exploring this, Be- mm. exploring biblical hospitality, exploring really sharing sharing their life with people that are going to be drastically different than them? Like, mm-hmm. how, how would somebody start that? Um, that? Being transformed by the renewing of your mind. I mean, that's the hard thing, right? It's the, the difficult thing is not changing your habits, man. I mean, you can just like set that on, you know, you could just schedule it into your day, right? Um, and have reminders on your phone to discipline yourself to act a certain way. The real struggle, I think, is in the transforming of the mind. 
Um, this is what Paul says, right? Because from the mind come actions, actions come habits, and habits come character. It's not easy to change your character, but it is, or, or it's easy to change your character in a way, but not so much to change your mind. And I think we have to have the 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 mind and the mentality of Christ. So Paul in, in Philippians 2 says, hey, your attitude should be like Christ, who though he was equal with God, that's not even our position. Like, let's just get up that, that right, up front. Right. We're, <laughs> this, we can't even pretend to be like Christ. <laughs> um, but to the greatest degree that we can, he who was equal with God, therefore us, as Isaiah 40 describes us as grasshoppers, um, these mere grasshoppers um, before the throne of God, like we should, um, like him, become like nothing is what the NIV puts it that way or... Um, and, and like he took on the posture of flesh, this incarnate, this idea of this incarnational living, the God who took on flesh is just this mother, Teresa called it, um, uh, descending into greatness or, or on renown called it, um, downward mobility. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. thinking, man, like where are the thrones in my life? Where's the crown? Right? Like, so in revelation, it talks about these 24 elders, Right, who've got these these crowns on their heads, and there's gemstones. There's some sweet puppies in there, and they're just like tossing them down on the ground before the king. Because why? They've seen the only thing worthy of our attention, the Lamb who is worthy to undo all the sin that we have propagated throughout the earth, and um, that's I think where it starts. So. Not not an easy answer, not a pragmatic one, but I think an important one. And then second, uh, my friend Barry Termott from South Dakota, really beautiful dude um, who's so kind and incarnational himself, has a great story. But he, um, he said, if the poor are not on our path, then perhaps we are not on God's path. Mm-hmm. I don't think you'd find a Christian, you wouldn't be hard pressed to find a Christian who would say, yeah, Jesus spent time with the poor. Like you're not going to, everyone knows that. Mm -hmm. And then, then you turn around, you ask the Christian, like, do you, Mm. usually the answer, and it depends on who you are. Right. But I think for the majority of us, it's no. And, and which shows us the, the bigger problem, which is that we've bought into a definition of following Jesus that does not include imitating him. So if the poor are not on your path, you know, well, move, (laughs) like move your body. God made his move. Romans 8 says that all of creation is waiting in breathless anticipation for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. He is waiting for us to make our move. He made his. And so I, I think the first, you know, the first step I would take is like, like position, move my body, like physically move. Like when Jesus told the disciples to drop their nets, he wasn't like, Hey, create an inward sense of detachment from those nets. He's like, no, stop being fishermen for a second. I'm going to do something with you. I'm going to make you a disciple of mine. It wasn't that he called them to a life without nets. It's not like us Christians here today are like anti net. Like we didn't take that and extrapolate that to mean that we, we nets are not included in the kingdom of God, but that discipleship was the goal. And the means to that discipleship was a actual physical detachment from the nets. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if God is also calling some of us 
to actually physically sell our home, move in to the neighborhood as God, like if the message version of the mm-hmm. scripture in Philippians 2 that I was just talking about, um, it says that God moved into our neighborhood. And, and so like it might for some of us, if we're in a place where we're like, yeah, I'm just, I don't know, I've been thinking about moving. Well, just consider like moving like another one of your guests, Nathan Pugh. Like this was this was what he did. He like moved from the the north side, um, and he was like, I just I want to be close to people. I want the proximity is a problem for me. Like I want to be near poverty physically. So he literally dropped his nets. Mm-hmm. Um, for some of us who are not in a position to like sell our homes, it's like okay, then then like let's let's dip our toes in the kiddie pool and become foster parents so that we can ensure that um, you know maybe maybe there's not a lot of homeless people or refugees. I mean, if you want refugees in your home, like let us know. We'll, we'll get refugees in here. We'll fill your home with refugees. Um, so maybe that's a baby step for somebody. And, and I know that's kind of silly cause that does not sound like a baby step. Um, but I promise you it's so beautiful on the other side. You'll look back and you'll be like, wow, I was dipping my pinky toe in a kiddie pool afraid of the water. And I'm just like, I'm telling you, it's so beautiful on the other side, but become a foster parent, you know? And like when you, when you welcome a child, um, you're welcoming, a child who has carried the burden, perhaps unknowingly, even if they're young, of parents who are in, you know, being uh, sexually trafficked or are experiencing homelessness or struggling with addiction. And so, like, you carry those things too because you're carrying the family, right? You're not just carrying this child, mm-hmm. you're carrying the burdens of that child's parents too. And so, that is a beautiful way to welcome the stranger. You know, yeah, that's, you know, and and let's say like, okay, so you don't have a detached basement like we have. Now we bought our house specifically detached house. So like there's no stairs between upstairs and downstairs. We can be generous with anybody who comes to our door. We have been that way. Like people knocking on our door. We're downtown here where people are panhandling. And I'm like, heck yeah, dude. I'm so lazy sometimes. Like it's helpful for me for you to come knock on my door. <laughs> the fact that like, you know, remember when we first moved in, we had like homeless dudes like like laying in the shade uh, uh-huh. of our tree in the front yard. And it got a little weird. He was also peering in our windows. And therefore I put like cameras all over the house, yeah. you know. Um, and there's a lot of mental illness coming our way. Yeah, we have boundaries, right? I wouldn't. James was sleeping, um, so I, you know, I don't. I'm not gonna l- let someone in that I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, but yeah, if you're on the north side of town, and no one's knocking on your door. Yeah. How do Kristen? Like, what? You, what do you think? Like, well, how do people take a step towards welcoming Christ in the flesh? Yeah, I mean, it kind of sounds cheesy, but like. Um, Well, typically your neighbors are going to be pretty similar to you. I think still inviting and being hospitable to your direct neighbors um, is really important and valuable. Um, They, if you are not in poverty, they they probably aren't. Um, So I'd say like figuring out what your interests and passions are and like looking at different nonprofits or if you know of churches that are really intentional and asking, how do I get involved? Um, Because if you yourself can't find someone, um, people like us at Neighborly, um, we can match you up. So if you're interested in, like James said, refugee families um, or people who are laborers um, at labor pools, specifically the refugees, I'll say, you know, they are all background checked. Um, they've just come through very 
lots, lots of prep to get here. Um, and so we also background check people and just kind of match them up and it can start small, like just, um, do you guys want to go meet at a park, right? Mm -hmm. Have a play date. Um, it doesn't have to start with like you inviting them into your home for a night. It can just be a meal. Um, it can be taking them grocery shopping. It can be taking them to the groceries or to the doctor's Mm -hmm. visit. Um, yeah. And then you're, you're starting a relationship, uh, and it can just grow naturally from there is kind of how we enjoy seeing it. So neighborly, if somebody's listening and they want to get involved with what specifically neighborly is doing, you've already mentioned refugees. Yeah. How else could they, they plug in or, or learn more? Yeah. So, um, go to that's neighborly.org, okay. no apostrophe for that's that's neighborly.org. And we have really three domestic initiatives and three international initiatives. Okay. So they can give financially, but our, 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 and we need that for sure. We're like 88% funded. So give, <laughs> please, um, for us to continue this work. But, um, our real aim is, is that we would help deinstitutionalize charity that we can help you create a situation where you don't really need us, you know, um, that you can move beyond us. Maybe we're just a stepping stone, you know, but not, you know, we're not like end goal, right? Like it's kind of like a trellis, right? It's, it's like a support structure to, to encourage vertical growth. Um, my hope is that we exist as sort of a trellis in that way. Um, yeah, every Tuesday you can find us. Um, we meet at our house at 5.15 in the morning. Do you um, like how I'm like big ideas and I'm uh, like, we're a trellis. It's so poetic. And she's like, yeah, James, what he's asking is details. Like Tuesdays <laughs> at 5.15 a.m. I love, it. I love it. Do you see how like well-matched we are? It's insane. <laughs> this is great. It's insane. I fought it for a long time. Still fight it. <laughs> But anyways, tell, tell the people <laughs> how they can. Why are they meeting at 5.15? Yeah, what's, yes. what's happening? Um, yeah, so we gather a team of volunteers, uh, and we kind of meet and pray, and then we um, we go out into groups. We have two labor pools that we've partnered with, and we provide breakfast to day laborers who are mostly in construction um, so they can get a hearty meal before they go off to their job sites. Most of them are homeless. So when I was homeless for two years, I had a lot of friends that would find work at labor pools because very low barrier employment. Mm-hmm. Uh, temp, it's a temp agency, but like for the day, you could just yeah. go like based on like whatever you could, you could go right now. You can go. You got with some steel toe work boots, some gloves. You can go work. Um, and so, if you're able, and this is like sometimes when people tell me that you know that are panhandling or whatever, I'm like, are you able to work? And if they say yes, then I'm like, I'll drive you right over to the labor pool, right? Mm-hmm. And let's fill out an application and so that you can start work tomorrow. Um, but the labor pool is where a lot of guys who are without housing show up. And so I'm like, man, here's the crazy thing. is like in most cities, I learned this in Gainesville too, by the way. Like, Did you ever like serve over at St. Francis House? I went over there a couple of times. Bo Did- behind kind of Bo yeah. Diddley Plaza area? Well, they they were. Um, this was a struggle that they were encountering, um, and I saw this. I saw that the people who were were going to work 
we're missing out on those feeding programs because the people who are up early enough at the labor pools. See, that's the 5.15 a.m. thing. Yep. Man, I'm not. That's, that's a that's a pulling King David moment where it's just like, man, I, I literally get nothing from this. In fact, I'm everything is being taken from me. I am a zombie at 5.15. I know this is a pure offering to God because it hurts. But. But that's the thing is like, so we go out there, we serve breakfast to these guys that are missing out on the feeding programs that don't get served until later. And almost every city, right? Some cities, they they do the early morning breakfast so that these people who are trying to overcome their obstacles um, are, are equipped. But the system is just really not set up to empower, but rather to enable people. Um, I know that's a very uh, conservative perspective, but I feel like in my experience, as as a guy who has spent two years on the streets day in day out, and I've wit- what I've witnessed shows me um, that the system just doesn't it doesn't set people up for the win. So, I mean, when we when we pass someone on the streets um, who are who is homeless, the invitation is I give them an index card or my business card. And I'm like, hey, here's my phone number, yeah. here's my email. If if I kind of have some history with them, then I'll give my address. Um, but we're like, come over for dinner. Yeah. Just go, let's get started. We don't know you, right? Like, that's the thing is like, a lot of us are going to say, well, this is scary, right? Because well, I don't know them. I don't want them in my home. You're totally, totally fair to say that. Mm-hmm. You're right. We, you don't know them and, and that it can be scary. And we can I would get s- to know them on Tuesday mornings. <laughs> <laughs> nice plug, babe. <laughs> yeah. I love Legit. I we should end it. there. But truly get to know them. Take yeah. them out for coffee. I, I think that's a fair concern. The, the, the concern I have, though, is if, if Jesus would have, why don't we? Hmm. And so if you don't know them, that's, that's the first red flag. Well, why don't you? Um, why haven't we prioritized lunch with them or a, an outing at Starbucks or whatever coffee shop of, of our choice? Ology. Shout out to Ology. Oh, hello. Freaking, I get no money from them, but I should. We spend money. We spend Thanks. money at Ology. That's where, so, that's where our hangout is. So if somebody wanted to bump into you guys. <laughs> that's it. They're going, they're going to Ology. Not the north side. Not the north side. Not the north side. I do come up here when I want to actually get work done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but because when I go to the sixth, uh, sixth Ave one, yeah. that's where we go to like build relationships. Nice. Under the guise of being on our laptop and working. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, that's fantastic. Guys, I want to do the lightning round with y'all. I got some yeah. questions for you. These are just for fun, and uh, there's no right or wrong answer here. Aren't you ready? Yes. Yes. Are they for me or for Kristen or both? Or how shout it out. First both. person to shout, shout out. Shout it out. Yeah. Okay. So would you rather dress up and go to a fancy restaurant or get comfortable and eat a home-cooked meal? Fancy. Fancy? Yes. Who's the better cook? James. Oh, that's so sweet. So it's my cooking at home that makes you say, I'd rather leave the house <laughs> uh-huh. and go. Yeah, we don't go out a lot. And so, and, um, uh, that's funny. so yeah, right now I think we're both wanting that. Accepting all gift cards. Ooh, yeah, yes. <laughs> Beach or mountains? Mountains, easy. Beach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I already know the answer to this, but would you rather spend 30 minutes meeting new people or one hour talking with an old friend? Ooh. Right now I'm in a, a one-hour space, old friend. It's been a while. Yeah, I think new people for me right now. Okay. I'm energized by 
anonymity and <laughs> fear. <laughs> What's more important to you? What people say to you or how they say it to you? How? Uh, what people say. Okay. I don't overanalyze or yeah, think deeply. <laughs> if you found out that your spouse was a criminal, Ooh. would you turn them in or join their gang? I called the cops on her last week. <laughs> Stop. Um, would I join their gang? I'd join her gang. Because that was one of the first things she said to me. Because I said, hey, baby, the, the direction my life is headed is I'll probably be in a jail cell at some point for Jesus. <laughs> yeah. uh, fingers crossed. And she said, I'll be in the jail cell next to you. Oh, I know. I what a turn on, right? Yeah. I yeah. said that before, kids. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I would say it depends on the day. Like, Let's go visit daddy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if James was, like, annoying me that day, I might turn him in. Yeah, but if we're in a good sure. spot. Yeah, I, you'll join my gang. <laughs> yeah. All right, which would be better, to be trapped in a haunted house or lost in an underground cave <gasps> with each other? Oh, I'm so claustrophobic. Definitely not a cave. Definitely haunted house. I've been okay. enjoying studying spiritual beings lately. He's going to practice in haunted house. <laughs> I'll practice exorcisms <laughs> in haunted houses. What is one thing that you love about Tallahassee? Ooh. I actually, I'm really excited about, I think there's an, a new culture emerging in Tallahassee that I've never seen until the past few years. I feel like it's always had a bit of an identity crisis between the, you know, um, the, the either it's, is it a college town or is it a, is it a place where politicians mm-hmm. roam free? And, and I think, I think something new is emerging and I think, no joke, I think ology is a big part of that. Right on. Yeah. There's like a brewery thing happening. I don't even drink really. I don't drink beer, but I'd love breweries, man. That was going to be my answer. What? Really? The new culture? All like, the, just all the breweries. What excites you about Tallahassee? I just, it, oh, oh, the breweries. <clears throat> I went here for college. I just feel like yeah. there, there's like a, a new like food and uh, entertainment scene yeah. that's kind of coming. It's kind of fun. Yeah. I feel like Tallahassee is coming of age. Yeah. It's like in its punk rocker, pre-teen. <laughs> right it's like... Something good is about to happen. Dude, something great. It's going through puberty. It's Tallahassee's going through puberty. As my voice my voice cracked as I said that. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Well, that was fantastic. A huge thank you to both James and Kristen. If you'd like to learn more about James and Kristen and the organization they lead, just head over to that's neighborly.org. That's neighborly.org and browse their site. Also, there are a number of questions that we just didn't get to during this interview, but if you'd like to reach out to either of them, I'll provide their contact info in the show notes. Just head over to my website at justinwester.com, navigate to the podcast tab. You can download it there and reach out to them through that. They would be more than happy to touch base with you and talk more about what it means to love and serve those on the margins. Well, that's all for this month. And remember, you don't have to live sin. You get to. We'll see you next time.